Okay, are we ready to start? Well, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be learning with you all here this evening as part of the Falls Man at Drisha. This is the first of three classes in the series Hanukkah, Holiday of Homebodies with Rabbanit Leasana. Um, before we start, I'm just going to uh, uh, introduce the uh, Zoom a bit for people who are new. As you enter the Zoom room, I will invite you to become a panelist. That doesn't mean we're, uh, we're suddenly expecting you to speak on a panel. It just means that you can uh, turn on your camera if you wish so we can see your lovely smiling faces and that when Rabinit Sana invites questions or comments, you will be able to unmute yourself to ask yourself. Um, we just ask that you keep yourself on mute when you're not speaking to minimise the background noise so we can all hear each other. Um, your questions and comments are always welcome in the chat if you're in the Zoom or the Facebook comments if you're on the live stream, um, if you don't want to become a panellist. Um, so Hanukkah, uh, Hanukkah holiday for homebodies. More than any other holiday, Hanukkah is all about the home. The Jewish people, with our long history of exile and displacement, has a complicated relationship with the space and rootedness we associate with home. The study of our laws of Hanukkah candle lighting will shed some light on a uniquely Jewish vision of homemaking. And we are so excited to be learning with Rabbanit Leasana. Rabbanit Leasana is a member of the faculty and the director of team programming here at Drisha. She has previously served as director of religious engagement at Anshe Shalom B'nai Yisrael Congregation in Chicago, a leading urban Orthodox congregation. She was ordained at Yeshivat Maharat in 2018, holds a BA from Yale University in philosophy and psychology, and also trained at the SKA Beit Midrash for Women at Migdal Oz, Jerusha, and the Center for Modern Torah Leadership. She has been awarded the Pomegranate Prize in Jewish Education by the Covenant Foundation and has a Wexner Graduate Fellowship. Uh, oh, and was a Wexner Graduate Fellow, sorry. <laughs> Rabbanit Sana's published works have appeared in The Atlantic, The Washington Post, Lairhouse, and The Jewish Review of Books. She has lectured in Orthodox synagogues and Jewish communal settings around the world and loves spreading her warm, energetic love for Torah and mitzvot with Jews in all stages of life. And with that, over to you, Rabbanit Sana. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on this quick little class. Usually our classes at Drisha are more like six parts or eight parts. Um, but I had this I had this thought about Hanukkah actually many years ago. Um, so I just want to start out with a little, I guess a little story, um, which is that when I was 10, I lived in Israel for the year. My parents were on um, sabbatical from their academic jobs. And when we moved, everyone said to us, it'll be really hard until Hanukkah. We were like, what's so special about Hanukkah? Why is it the case that at Hanukkah, magically, things are not so hard anymore? It didn't really make any sense to us. But it turned out that they were 100% right. And actually, ever since then, every time I've moved to a new place, and usually that's been kind of with that same sort of academic Jewish and Jewish calendar that begins around Tishrei, it's been the case that a place doesn't fully feel like home until you're lighting your first night of Hanukkah candles. And then you're like, oh, oh, this place is home now. Um, 
So I've always had this very particular association between Hanukkah and the home, not just from a like halachic perspective of it being a holiday where the main ritual happens, not just like at someone's home or around someone's table, the way maybe the Seder does, which is our other like A plus all-star home ritual. Um, but it actually has to happen at your home. Um, and so what is how do we define your home? What makes for a home? Um, and um, I think that sometimes um, we just use that word very casually without thinking about what what turns a, a dwelling into a home. And is the, is the bar for that very high or is the bar for that very low? Um, and that's something we're going to start looking at tonight. And we're going to look at it from a bunch of different perspectives over the next three classes. Um, so tonight, what we're going to do is a little bit of introduction. What is that relationship between Hanukkah and the home? Where does it come from? How important actually is it? Um, and we're going to see kind of one of like maybe the sort of foundational debate um, about that. Um, so it's going to be a debate about whether Hanukkah is about the home or Hanukkah is about the person. It's a very brisker style of debate for those of you who love this kind of thing. That's that's where we're headed. It's going to be whether Hanukkah is a mitzvah on the gavra or Hanukkah is a mitzvah on the bayit, um, on the home. We're going to be comparing uh, candle lighting to mezuzah, um, which is another classic mitzvah in the home. Um, the other, we can we can keep listing a home mitzvah, but, uh, building a ma'akef, if it's relevant, building a, a fence around any kind of dangerous rooftop or um, sort of situation is another, maybe another mitzvah in the home. There's, there's a few of them, right? Shabbos candles might be a mitzvah in the home. Um, it's not a totally unique category but it, it it i think i want to argue that it makes its way in very interesting ways through the halachot of hanukkah and over time it's going to begin to spell out some deep kind of debates about what makes a jewish home um and i think those debates are really really interesting <laughs> so that's that's what we're going to be doing um that's what we're going to be doing in this class um it's quite a long source sheet tonight we're not probably going to make our way through every single word of it but i'm really excited about it and i can't wait to share it with you so um with that we will begin um i'm going to be sharing my screen for most of the time which means that it's a little hard if someone like turns on their camera or something and wants to see something, um, it's just a little hard for me to like see it exactly. So just like feel free to interrupt. And if I don't want you to interrupt, I'll just be like, oh, wait a minute. Um, and then um, and then I'll do that. Or if you're embarrassed to do that, you can put in the chat and hopefully Lena's will see it and then she'll she'll um, intervene. But yeah, like screen share and like chat don't really go well together. So um definitely just hop in. It looks like we're a pretty small group also. Um, okay, so I'm going to share my screen. Also, um, if you want to follow along on your own, it is in the chat and can probably go back there too. Okay, so um, as many of you are probably aware, the main place where Hanukkah gets discussed in the Talmud is in Masachet Shabbat, um, in the Parak of Bamem Adlikin, which is all about Shabbos candles and the relationship between Shabbos candles and Hanukkah candles is like 
amazing and fascinating and especially the questions about which are kind of post um or continued very strongly post Talmudically into the, into the Middle Ages about what brachot you make on which one and um multiple like variations on brachot even for the brachot of Hanukkah um variations of what the bracha is on the candles and then also a big a big debate in, in medieval Ashkenaz about whether one should even say a bracha on Shabbos candles, what that bracha might even be, and seemingly a history of women playing a kind of strong interventionary role in that. Um, but really for another time, anyways, we're in the in the chapter of Bama Ligan and Hanukkah and famously begins my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? And we're we're a bit into that discussion. And the Gemara says, Tanur Banan that's taught in a brighta mitzvah Hanukkah ner ish uveto um so the english translation here adds in so much um so we're gonna ignore it for now but the mitzvah of Hanukkah the core mitzvah of Hanukkah is a candle a person and their house so what does that mean ner ish uveto a candle a person and his home um right what it sounds like it means is like what is the mitzvah of Hanukkah I'm supposed to I'm a person I'm supposed to be in my home and my home is meant to be illuminated and that's you know if you there's a great podcast that I listened to a bunch of years ago about the history of illumination and how like we don't even think about it I have the lights on I have two different lights on in my room right now that I'm teaching you from um and that I don't think of that as like a great expense I use led bulbs they're crazy cheap I could leave them on day and night it would cost me pennies a month um but once upon a time illumination was one of the greatest expenses of anyone's life poor people didn't really do it unless they were commanded to um and that's where you start to get Shabbos candles and Hanukkah candles being commanded. You wouldn't think that, like, I don't need a commandment that when the sun goes down, I should turn on the lights inside my house, right? Like that, there's no reason to command that of me because if I don't turn on the lights, it's dark. Um, but in a world where illumination is unbelievably expensive, people were not doing it. You have to assume people were not doing it unless they could afford it. Um, and um, and with that in mind, all of a sudden that transforms this from being like, oh, Nerishubeto, like it must be something complicated to saying no, even the simplest articulation of that was actually something that maybe most people weren't automatically, weren't necessarily doing. Um, okay, so mitzvah Hanukkah ner ishu veto. So let's just look at the Rashi on that, source number two. So this is what the the interpretation that you're the most familiar with. Ner ishu veto, ner achad b'chol laila, ve'ish v'chol b'nei veto, sagi lehu b'ner achad. So it's one candle for the whole, for, for yeah, one candle for each night and a person and everyone that they live with, or it's really in the masculine here, a man and everyone that he lives with. In the next, in coming sessions, we're going to talk really explicitly about the gender piece of this, particularly a person who's on the road, a man who's on the road and his wife lighting for him. That's going to be a big question. So we are going to, instead of like toning, dialing down the gender piece, which is what I maybe normally do, we're going to actually like own the gender piece of this um, for now. And I, I'm just flagging it as something that we're going to circle back to in future sessions. Um, okay. 
So and a man and everyone in his house, it's all sufficient for all of them with just one candle. Okay. The Svada Met set, you know, kind of calls out Rashi. Um, by the way, when we talk about the Svada Met on the Talmud, it's the same person as the Hasidic Rebbe, the Svada Met on the Parsha, who you might have heard of. But it's astonishing. <laughs> it's astonishing that it's the same person. It does not read like the same person at all. The Svatimet on the Talmud reads like any kind of normal, incredibly brilliant, normal, incredibly brilliant Ahron. And um, it's not particularly like Hasidically inflected. Um, and yeah, like if you didn't know that they were the same person, you would never believe it. Anyway, so but he... Here he is on our Gemara. And what he says, he kind of calls out Rashi, La Fuge, right? You, oh, Rashi explains it this way. La Fuge Mashahayanir Alahora to exclude what you might have originally thought. Didai Bener Achad Al Kolyamot Hanukkah, which you might have thought it's one candle for all the nights of Hanukkah. What is the mitzvah of Hanukkah? You light a candle in your home. That's how you celebrate Hanukkah, which, by the way, right, within the debates of, like, were the rabbis trying to make Hanukkah a big deal or trying to make Hanukkah a very little deal? So, like, this is an even littler deal than you ever might have imagined. Okay. Um, right. Oh, over the, some court, over the course of the eight days, you're going to light one candle inside of your home. And, right, she'im lo'elik balel. If you don't like the first night, great. At some point over those eight days, you'll light a Hanukkah candle, says the Svatimet. And then, and the, the extra fancy people would light every night. And that's actually an incredible read. We didn't look at this yet, right? But so people who that want to do Hidur, people who... Um, who want to make the mitzvah more beautiful, will light a ner l'kol That's when you have a debate. So like the fancier than fancy, that's when you have a debate about every day and the days being different from each other. But what's cool about this is the Svadimet is, he doesn't say it explicitly, but his understanding is that the Mahadrin, let's say there's four people in your house. Great. On the third night of Hanukkah is when we're going to have our three are our four member Hanukkah party and on that night we're gonna light four candles that is my celebration of Hanukkah on the third night of Hanukkah four members of my family each lit a candle Ad Khan Hanukkah that's the spot Met's understanding of Mahadrin and he says you don't have something happening every night until Mahadrin Min Mahadrin this is all in by the way I should say this is all in a, a like a pre-Rashi what you would have thought otherwise kind of world Right, so but then he says, okay, but there's kind of a problem. Problem is the fact that we make a bracha every night for the Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin version of lighting every night. He says from there, Mashma Says from there, it actually seems like no Rashi's interpretation must be right that the original mitzvah is in fact to light every night. Because uh, oh, like 
this practice that only the Mahadran bin Mahadran crazy people do, what they're gonna make a bracha on that. Like if the narrow, if the mitzvah of Hanukkah was one person, light one candle in your home one night, then you would just have one bracha in the whole of Hanukkah as opposed to a brach, a new bracha every night, he says, yeah, that's that's big evidence for Rashi's read that it's actually ner yishu veto means ner achad bekol laila, which is Rashi's big addition into the Gemara. So that is just a little bit of an introduction to ner yishu veto as this kind of core mitzvah of Hanukkah. Um, and I just thought that's what I meant. It was too amazing not to teach. So I brought it. It's not exactly where we're going, but um, uh, just what an incredible read. And I think what it does is it opens up the possible interpretive possibilities for ner yishu veto, which is to say, almost all of us probably, when we first learned ner yishu veto, we learned what Rashi told us it means, Nusfatimet gives us permission to say, let's reread these words. Let's focus on these words again and ask questions about them and imagine what they might have meant outside of the fence that Rashi kind of puts them into. Um, and so for me, in thinking about Hanukkah as this like home holiday, Ner Ishu Veto by it is. There's it's a three-word core mitzvah, ner ishu veto, and bayit is one of three. And that means that the bayit is just as important as the person, which is just as important as the light itself. It's this like three-part cocktail that makes up this holiday. Um, and I think we spend a lot of time talking about like who can light and how many members of your family and in what order and blah, blah, blah. We spend a lot of time talking about the specifics around the nair, how many, what do they symbolize? What order do we light them in? Do we light more each night or less each night if we're in the Mahadran in a Mahadran camp? Can I light with electricity or not? Um, it showed it. What, what do I do if I have leftover candles or leftover wax or whatever it is, right? Lots and lots of nair questions. And what I want to say is that each part of this cocktail is equally important and we need to ask the buy questions too. Okay, so that's all just by way of introduction. Okay, so the first question is, well, is it a, could say, nair ish veto, three equal parts of the cocktail. Um, we're going to see that there are practical cases, that's in part three, practical cases where you have to choose actually between Ish and Beto. Um, so uh, what do you do in those situations? We're going to see an amazing Tzitzeliazer where he was asked, um, if I'm going to be on a trip on Hanukkah and I'm sleeping I'm camping, like I'm just sleeping outdoors under the sky, not in any kind of buy it. And there's someone at home for me who could light for me. Should I, is it better to have them light for me? So it's nair and buy it, but the ish isn't there. Or is it better to light outside and you have nair and ish, but no buy it? So that, so exactly those types of questions. But before we even get there, um, Let's look at some earlier. Let's look at some earlier, more foundational sources. So here's a toast vote on 
are on our Gemara on a Mahadrin in a Mahadrin. He says it's see. Oh, it, we didn't look at this inside, but Beit, you might be familiar. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel have an argument. He says on Beit Shammai says on the first day you light eight and then less each night. Beit Hillel says on the first day you light one and then more each night. We obviously do the Beit Hillel version. Okay, so it seems to the re. That Bechamai and Beit Hillel, Lo Ella Aner Ish Uveto, Bechamai and Beit Hillel are still arguing about this concept of Ner Ish Uveto. So it's not the case that by the time you get to Mahadrin and Mahadrin, you're like doing something wildly different from the core mitzvah. You're just beautifying that core essential Ner Ish Uveto. And then they say, Shekin Yeshu Ter Hidur Deika Hekera. And, and it's actually more beautiful when you can tell what, whichever side, Beit Shammai or Beit Hillel, when you can tell what's happening, whether you can tell that every night we've added a candle or every night we've detracted a candle. But if everyone has candles, then when you add you add a candle each night or something like that. You can't tell as well what's happening in the home. Um, she's um Lika Kira, she's Burushakish Badeatama by um, so you can't you can't tell as well what's happening um and how many people are in the home, and it just becomes this big mush of candles, right? There could be you have you live in a home with eight people, all of a sudden on the first night you're lighting eight candles in your home, and Toso it seems to say like that's not the Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin. The Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin is actually still near Ish Uveto, one person lighting for the whole home together. And the Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin is one person lighting for the whole home together. But on the first night, you light one, the next night, you light two, the next night, you light three. Um, and I mean, Toastful's model eliminates just the Mahadrin version, which I think is really interesting. Um, they're like not interested in it. And they don't, you, like, it seems like they would say, like, oh, like, that's terrible. <laughs> you almost think, like, they would prefer just one candle to four candles on the first night, four candles on the second night, four candles on the third night, right? So there's a little bit of a, I don't know, like a question on the toast with that. I wonder what they would say about a family who did just Mahadran. Um, but they seem to say, no, it's really about the individual. It seems like toast if they had to choose, they would say, um, well, I don't know. I don't, I guess if, if Tosu had to be choosing between the person or the house, it seems like they would be saying it's really for the whole house and it's one person on behalf of the whole house. And here are our one candle the first night, our two candles the second night, our three candles the next night, right? And it's not about every individual for themselves, it's about the house as a whole. Um, but then the Rambam comes along and disagrees. So he says, how many candles are you supposed to light on Hanukkah? Mitzvah yeah, kol madlik says that it's basic core mitzvah. Every house lights one candle, no matter how many pieces, people are there. Ben ben adam the mitzvah, and someone who wants to make the mitzvah even more beautiful, so he has a concept of that middle Mahadrin level where he would light a candle for each member of the house. Um, and he includes men and women in that count, which is obviously great. 
Um, and someone who wants to do it even more beautifully, and he wants to do the mitzvah in an ideal way. So if we have four people in our home, the first night we're lighting four candles, the second night we're lighting eight candles, and we're adding to each person's like set of candles another candle every night. That is, um, that's the Rambam. So Tosfot would say, Tosfot would say they, they live simultaneously, but they don't know each other. Tosfot and the Rambam. Tosfot would say, no, Rambam, like that's not Mahadran. That's a mess. And instead it's about the house and the house doing Pirsumei Nisa and representing and being clear about how long the miracle lasted for. And Rambam would say, no, it's about the people in the house. And an ideal version is the house full of light corresponding to the number of people in it. So if we had to say, you know, who's picking the people and who's picking the house, obviously there's an ideal world where everyone picks all of them, right? Ne'er ishu beito. But I would say like Tosvot, emphasis on beito, Rambam, emphasis on ish, or really on nashim v'nashim. Okay. Um, so how does this play out in the Shulchan Arach? So the Shulchan Arach says, "Kamenei wrote Madlik, Balayra Harishon Madlik Achad Mikan Beilach Mosif Olich Achad B'Kol Laila Ad Shabalayla Acharon Yishmonai." Says, "How are you, how many are you supposed to light? Light one on the first night, two on the second night, three on the third night. Add another one each night until you have eight on the last night." And even if there's many people in your home, do not light more says the Rambam, ostensibly, says, sorry, says not the Rambam, says the Shulchan Aruch, ostensibly, it's about the home, right? Says the Shulchan Aruch, paskening like the toast vote against the Rambam. But then along comes the Ramah, who says, quotes the Rambam, some say, everyone in the house should light, and this is the, this is the like widespread, um, but he's sensitive to the Tosfot's concerns of like, well, it kind of starts to undermine itself at a certain point. You just have a mess of candles. So you should be careful that everyone should put their candles in a special place. It'll be obvious um, how many candles each person is lighting, right? So the Ramah, Paskins like the Rambam, but is sensitive to the concerns of the toast vote and just says we can resolve those concerns. So again, if we're lining up who's on team Bayit, we have the toast vote, we have the Shulchan Arach, who's on team Ish, we have the Rambam, we have the Ramah, who then says, yeah, and like each person needs their own kind of like special moment. So they get their own special. Okay. Um, the Pnei Yehoshua adds some really just beautiful language to this. Um, and Pnei Yehoshua is an Aharon, um, also like the Svara Met. Um, and he he says, um, on, on our Gemara, it's Nira Banan, Mitzvah, Hanukkah, Ner Ish Uveito. The Mitzvah of Hanukkah is each day to have a light by a person or a candle, a person, and a home. 
Um, he says, Nishar He says, it seems like what, what distinguishes this mitzvah from the rest of the mitzvah, which are in general, um, in principle, most mitzvot are chubarhaguf. Most mitzvot are um obligations of the body, obligations of individuals. You goof is usually like a loose, uh loose loose language um it's not exclusively about the body it can also be about the mind all kinds of things like that um but right what does that mean um other mitzvah which are obligated on every individual the nami and with those mitzvah we especially hold mitzvah bo yoterni that it is better for the individual who has that that has that obligation in that individual obligation on themselves um it's better for that person to do the mitzvah for themselves than to do it um to, than to have someone else do it on their behalf which is obviously so interesting because there are certain mitzvah like Kiddush, let's say, where the common, common, common custom is to have someone else do it for you. Um, so that's where like this concept of mitzvah boyutarishilcho gets um gets interesting and and um and you know how does that play into like custom and family dynamics and does it apply in all cases and all really fascinating things like that. But if you ever see someone who's like Oh, I'm gonna make also make Kiddush for myself, please. Like this is what's motivating it. Like I have an individual obligation. It's better for me to dispel that individual obligation for myself than to have someone else do it for me. Um okay, so normally we would say that on most normal mitzvot. Ella Dashani Hacha, but it seems like Hanukkah is different, right? Where you have the toastful and you have the shulchanarach saying it is better for one person to do it for the whole family that seems to say that it is not the case that each individual member of the family has their own obligation says the Pnei Yoshua that, that the individual doing this mitzvah isn't the point of the mitzvah. The ikar of the mitzvah, the essence of the mitzvah, is that it should just be as close as possible to like the public way. Because the heart of it was established in order to publicize the miracle. And therefore, when the rabbis were creating the mitzvah of Hanukkah, they created this mitzvah to make it in such a way as if it's a commandment on the house. So, um, sorry, do you have a question? I'll just finish my sentence, then I want to hear it. Um, right, a commandment on the house, and the, maybe like the classic that we think about is, is mezuzah, and we'll get to that um, soon. Sorry, go ahead. Wait, you're muted. I want to hear what you're saying. I'm sorry, I'm gonna uh, okay. ask you to unmute. Okay. Hi. Okay. Um, first, I just wanted to apologize for logging on late. I was in Washington, D.C., and I just got home. Oh, okay. <laughs> but thank you. Um, but I, I, it's just striking me I, um, that there's maybe some resemblance to Carbon Pesach in terms of the celebrate a vote, celebrate. 
Yeah, totally. And I mentioned I mean, that at the I mentioned like the Seder night at the outside here, but maybe you Oh okay. Yeah for that. Okay. Yeah. No, um, I didn't. I got in like at 820 I got on. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. No, but absolutely, right. right? The Seder night. Like if we had to list Judaism's like top 10 home rituals, like Seder night is probably number one and Hanukkah might be number two. I don't know what else you would say. Shabbos candles. Oh, but I but I was thinking no, I'm just thinking more technically, halachically, when you're saying that the mitzvah is on the bayit, and, you know, it, well, you know that everybody, the, the, the Karim Pesach, you could bring it as a single person, but you were supposed to do it as a group, and you know, and not everybody shechted their own animal. Right, you have was, road, typically. Right. So... That's there seemed to me to me to be some similarity there. That's what I'm saying. Totally, but also a complexity because in order to bring a korban pasach and eat it, if you didn't live in Yerushalayim, you had to leave your home. And I right. think that in some ways Hanukkah. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Do not leave your home. <laughs> right. That's the it's the opposite. Right. Right. It's the and we'll see. Like we'll see. We're gonna see. You you would have thought from mitzvah that is literally three words ner ishu veto that is our hanukkah mitzvah cocktail you would have thought that you would see a lot more halachic literature saying don't travel on hanukkah like we have so much travel themed literature about shabbos right don't don't start traveling on wednesday right um you would think that hanukkah where it's like what is hanukkah's mitzvah ner ishu veto wouldn't it be obvious to say and you have to be in veto and we don't see that which is super interesting also but we also don't <laughs> see a specific outside of your home destination in the way that we do with um with pesach right Okay, thank you. Yeah, but I do think Pesach is, of course, the like, the other, I mean, I whatever, I keep saying the same thing, uh-huh. but the other sort of A-plus home ritual um, that okay. definitely is always sort of looming in these, um, in these conversations. And especially because the Korban Pesach, I mean, this is what Sari was saying, but like, you bring it home, you have to eat it at home in Pesach Mitzrayim, you weren't allowed to leave the door, um, right? Like Hanukkah doesn't, right? We don't like lock you in your homes the way you were in uh, Pesach Mitzrayim. Uh, so anyways, yes. Lots to think about. Okay. Um, if, if you don't see me, I, I'm still here. I just I haven't had dinner. So I'm listening while I'm no worries. <laughs> I'm so glad you're yeah, here. I'm here. Enjoy your dinner. <laughs> um, okay. So what happens? So so now we're putting it to the test, and we'll see other test cases in future weeks. But what happens when you have a person, but you you have an ish, but you have no bite? So that's what I want us to look at here. We're gonna see a little bit of the Gemara, Rashi, Rashba, and then a big, then the the Maharsham and. Uh, and then the Tzitzeliezer, you know, not quite a hundred years later, but they're not talking to each other. The Tzitzeliezer has the Maharsham. Um, the Maharsham obviously does not have the Tzitzeliezer. Okay, so here's our case. So Amar Bichibar Ashi, Amar Rav. So Bichibar Ashi says that Rav says, the one who lights a Hanukkah candle needs to make a bracha. And Rabbi Yermia says, someone who isn't lighting the Hanukkah candles, but just seeing them recites a blessing. That there's some mitzvah, even in just 
the viewing of the Hanukkah candle, um, which is not such a, you know, we might think like, oh, that's such a, a weird idea, but on on Motzei Shabbat, we say borei maorei ha'ish and make a bracha on seeing fire that we lit like before. It's really not at all about the lighting of the thing. It's about the, the seeing and the using of the fire. So I do think it, you know, it sounds a little foreign, like it sounds foreign because it's not part of our conception of what you do on Hanukkah. Like, you know how in, I feel like I've only ever done this in Jerusalem, but people in my neighborhood here where it's quite like densely Jewish population do it also that like, assume oh around this time everyone probably lit let's walk down the street and see everyone's beautiful Hanukkah candles um and in Jerusalem that's like such a beautiful common thing to do um and so this idea that this this idea that's really only in theory the practicalities of this are a little complicated and debated but Rabbi Yermia says oh you see it you see a Hanukkah candle burning you go on your walk through Jerusalem when all the Hanukkah candles are lit you would at each candle you would make um you would make a bracha each each home you pass you would make another bracha on the Hanukkah candles on seeing Hanukkah candles maybe on re-experiencing the miracle of Hanukkah candles it that's Rabbi Yermia here gets interpreted into oblivion but it's a gorgeous idea of what Hanukkah could be that not only do I light in my home but then I leave my home on purpose and walk around the neighborhood and see everyone else's candles and make a bracha on each and every one of them like it's just a really really gorgeous like vision of what this holiday would be about that the Rishonim really like get rid of probably because people weren't doing it um or like that's not how the holiday panned out into being um or they just thought wow that's too many brachot and brachot because uncomfortable um which is certainly another option of how it ended up this way but but let's see what what what's the case of this haro'eh ne'er shal hanukkah the one who sees a burning hanukkah light must recite a blessing. So Rashi says, "Ha'over bashuk, someone who is passing through the marketplace, ve'ro'eb ha'chanachatzirut dolik, and you just you just see um, Hanukkah candles lit in one of the courtyards." So that's that's Rashi's first take is our original halachic kind of vision of what this would look like. I'm wandering through and I see all the Hanukkah candles and I just make brachot, brachot everywhere. Um, but I found the name of Rabbi Yitzchak ben Yehuda, Sha'amar Mishum Rabbi Yaakov, who says the name of Rabbi Yaakov, that, that this bracha is only required. It's not made except except for someone who didn't yet light in their house or for someone who is on a boat. Okay, that person on a boat is going to become really important, but we're just going to hold the boat and go to option number one here. So the person who hasn't yet lit in their home, we've gone from, I light my Hanukkah candles and then I go on a walk and I make a million brachot to, oh my gosh, I'm late getting home. I haven't gotten home and lit yet, but I'm walking past other people's lights and wow I'm gonna make a bracha and then they're so pretty and then I'll go home and I'll light mine and that will kind of be the fuller bracha experience and then I'm done making bracha so that's the new version of it and the Rashba is gonna say definitely not not even that so he's gonna say 
Mistabra The Rashba says, who is this Roet? It's someone who he hasn't lit. Nobody's lit, in, lit on his behalf, and he is not going to get a chance to light that night. The Roet is someone who has no chance that they are going to light candles at any point that night. The Roet is like, the doctor working the night shift who lives alone at home and there's no one there to light candles for him and he can't light anything in the hospital. That's the that's the the Roa according to the Rashba. And he goes out on a quick little break and he sees someone's Hanukkah candles across the street from the hospital and he makes a bracha on those Hanukkah candles. That's the that seems to be the imagination of the Rashba. Um and he says, because outside of that case. You don't need to make these brachos. You don't see cases where you did a mitzvah and then you like keep going to do it again and again and again. That's not a thing. Um, and he says, some rabbis say, this is Rashi, right? Or potentially at least Rashi. Some people say that um, even though they uh, other people lit for you, you still make a bracha on seeing someone else light. They have nothing to rely on, says the Rashba. I hate this if someone lit for you they did the thing we're going to come back to the person who lights for you that's going to be in coming weeks never fear it's super interesting um and and very like gendered and fun in that way um but the Rashba says if you have any hope of fulfilling this mitzvah in any way better than just being a roa you should not make brachot as a roa okay so that's the Rashba. He and many others are part of why you've never heard of this idea of making brachot on Hanukkah candles all the time. But there is something very beautiful about it being a holiday where you have Neri Shuvito as like the core mitzvah. And then everyone did that core mitzvah so that all the Jewish homes are like illuminated and we can go out and then you can be like that. Right, a home is is maybe defined at least by having boundaries. So if within my boundaries it's illuminated, and I did my within my boundaries thing of my home, and then there's a person who's the roet who's outside my home looking in, and he gets to make a different bracha. He has a whole different experience because the core thing is neri shubeto, and then there's like a secondary thing that's uh just a, a person seeing a light without by it and that person makes a totally different bracha has a totally different experience and the rashma tries to basically write that person out of history like if you have any connection to a by it and any way to do this mitzvah in a by way you should not be even attempting to be the roa um says the rashma and um it, like the core of the mitzvah is just not this and he's really trying to write it out um, which is also like not crazy because of course it's a Raviermia idea and our tradition typically does not look kindly on ideas from Raviermia. Um, Rena, did you have something you wanted to add? No. Oh, okay. Yes. Hey, wonderful to see your face. Log on to the video. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, okay. So it just, I think that this idea of a row ad versus a person inside of a bite starts to cut at um how important the bayit might be to this to the mitzvah of Hanukkah that you have a whole other category for the guy who doesn't have a bayit 
and there's and he participates in like a secondary lesser way in, in Hanukkah, at least theoretically, um, than the person who does have the bite. So Rashi's example that does seem to stand and does not get cut down by the Rashba is our Yoshev Basvina, is our person who is on a boat. So let's start thinking about what that boat might look like. So we're in the Maharsham. The Maharsham um, at this point is um, sitting in, in Razin. Um, he um, is obviously in Europe in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He is very, very interested in questions of modernity and new technologies, which is what we are going to see here. Um, I tried to find out, by the way, anything about Shimon Valtuch, um, but as far as I could tell, the internet didn't know anything about him, but he's apparently a rabbi in the city of Leipzig. Um, if anyone finds out anything about him, I'd love to hear it. Um, okay. So there's actually two things in this chuba. The other one, it's always so fun when this happens in learning. I'd seen the second half of this chuba because it's about um, Hilcho Nida. It's a relatively famous Nida chuba, and I had never um, even known that it was related to a Hanukkah chuba until I started looking into this question. Um, so that was just like a fun the whole Torah is connected kind of moment. Um, anyways, okay, so um, it was it's related to like, I don't know, we use that, we use the same chuba when we think about like uterine biopsies. So it's just amazing that it's like all the same, same thing here. All, all questions posed by Rabbi Shimon Valtuch of Leipzig. Okay, so, so right, you said to answer your question from the second day of Hanukkah, Al Haban, um, which is German for a train, like it, it, it's still today, like the U-Bahn is, I think, something like that is like the tram in, in Germany. Um, so, but what that is, is that it's the train. Um, I haven't found anything explicit about this question, whether you could light Hanukkah candles, presumably on an overnight train. Aval, hello, Misha Shilim. But if you're on an all-night train, you have rented a space on that train to eat on it and to sleep on it, and therefore it's high the narrow Hanukkah. So what's the Marsham's argument here is that the train has become your home. It's the same as if you rented a hotel room for the night, it is, if you're eating there, if you're sleeping there, it is Chayev in near Hanukkah. So that's, that's so far, that seems like our parameters of what a home is. And how does he learn that out? He says, Umasha Katav Rashi Biyoshiv Besvina. Okay, but Rashi says that a person who's on a boat doesn't light Hanukkah candles um and makes only a bracha as someone who sees Hanukkah candles so what's why is a train not similar to a boat he has to answer back in the day boats were open there was no roof and, and the wind would blow through it and it wasn't any type of house at all the boats were totally open 
they didn't have any housiness to it. So, so far, right, we see it at houses where you eat, houses where you sleep. You have to have paid some kind of, potentially paid some kind of rent or at least be welcome in the, the place where you're sleeping, it seems like. And it needs to have walls. It needs to be begeder by it in the, in the general framework, let's say, of a house. And even though the train doesn't stay in one place, and we have a halachic principle that someone who's being, um, someone who's riding, it's as if they're walking. So it's right. I, I'm clearly not, you know, if I'm just walking through the night, then clearly I'm not in my home. And so if I'm being transported through the night, how could I possibly be at home if being transported is like walking, right? I'll just repeat that again. We have a principle that being transported is like walking. Clearly, if I were walking all night long, I would not be at home. So how could it possibly be the case that if I'm being transported all night long, I would, yes, be home? He says, The house that makes up a house for Hanukkah, says the Maharsham, does not need to be a permanent house. Um, because its mitzvah is all about Pirsumei Nisa. So in fact, right, like if you have a mitzvah tank with a driver all night long and someone's sleeping in the back, then you could just like drive all around town with your menorah in the window of your mitzvah tank. And um, and that, according to the Maharsham, would be a kiyom of Ner Yishu which is kind of just like an amazing an amazing idea and someone should totally sell it to Chabad. Um, anyways, uh, right? So like, what is a home? A home has some kind of structure, does not require stability, could be going all night long, but it does need a structure. I need to have some kind of like rightful place within it, food and sleep. Okay. That's my bayit, says the Maharsham, and a, and a boat doesn't fit those requirements, not because it's moving and not because it's on the water, but because it is open, which means that according to the Maharsham, if you went on a Hanukkah cruise, which um, if there's any like rabbis listening, if you're not on the Hanukkah cruise um, as a rabbi, like email us or let me know. Um, <laughs> I've never done it, but I'm so tempted. That's a great you get to dream every time you get an email being like, Rabbi needed for this Hanukkah cruise. But anyways, the Maharsham would say our cruise boats today totally count as buy it for Neri Shubito. You have a room, you have a place there. You're eating, you're sleeping. Okay, so here's the Tzitzel Yezer. The Tzitzel Yezer was asked, after all that, okay, so the Tzitzeliezer gets a, a question from Israelis who are off on Hanukkah and they say, we want to go on a trip. What should I do if I'm sleeping outside? And is it different if I'm sleeping in the tent? And would it be better altogether if I'm leaving my parents at home while I go on my trip for them to just light and have me in mind? Or should I light even when I'm just sleeping in my sleeping bag under the stars? Those are the questions that the Tzitzeliezer was asked. So if you're the Maharsham and someone says, I'm sleeping outside on the ground in a sleeping bag, 
the Maharshan says, you're the Roa. You are not, that is not Ner Ishu That has none of the qualities of Bayit, none of the Geder Bayit that's described here. Um, it, it just doesn't count. Have someone, he would say, best to have someone light for you at home, or you'll see someone who's lighting in their home and you'll get that like secondary pleasure of like, wow, at least someone else is home <laughs> of, of the Roa. Um, and um, and that's all you get, says the Maharsha. Tzitz Eliezer says almost the opposite. Oh, so sorry. So if we had to say the Maharsham, is he is he on the emphasis on Bayit or emphasis on Ish, which was our question when we saw the Tosfod and the Rambam before? It seems like the Maharsham is emphasis on Bayit. And the Tzitz Eliezer is going to say the opposite. He says, he says the obligation of lighting Hanukkah candles is an obligation on the skull, the karkafta, if you want to learn a fun word for today, karkafta, uh, of a person without any relationship to an object. And he's going to say it's totally different from um, mitzvah mezuzah. So he says mitzvah mezuzah, I was talking about it before as like a mitzvah habayit, using that language from that, um, oh gosh, I'm totally blinking on his name, um, from the Pnei Yehoshua, sorry, now you're all going to be dizzy with me, um, using that language of Chovar from the Pnei Yehoshua, he, he's not even going to say mitzvah mezuzah is Chovar he says mitzvah mezuzah is Chovar Hadar, it's a mitzvah on the resident, it's not on the house itself, it's on the resident, which is actually a really great read, by the way. It totally makes sense with mitzvah mezuzah. Um, and it's a mitzvah on the resident, but it's a chiyu kashur imachafta, but it's tied up in the object, which is the physical home. The hainu im shi'ur bayit shedarbo, because the house has to fit certain physical requirements. It's actually a really beautiful um, list of what the house needs to be in mezuzah for a different time, maybe, but Definitely, you know, if we were doing like a long, long, long session on the home in Judaism, the the uh, like the definition of a home that goes into mitzvot mezuzah are so beautiful and so important. Um, and that and right, but it needs to be. Let's just say fundamentally, one of them, the most relevant of them, if usually in our lives, is that it needs to have a certain number of walls. It needs to be a certain size. So be'inan sheyel zashim buy it. I don't have to build a mezuzah until. I am an actual homeowner. So like if I put up a tent for a night, I don't need to put a mezuzah on my tent. Um, and so the mitzvah, so even though I'm residing, it's a chubat hadar, it's a mitzvah on the resident, and I am dar in my tent, my tent does not meet the requirements of a mezuzah. And so it's a chubat hadar that's tied up into a chatta, okay? Um, and right, and without the proper object without the proper hadar, then the obligations on the resident don't kick up. But mitzvah, the mitzvah of lighting Hanukkah candles is not like that. Says the Tzitz Eliezer, it's all about the person and their body. 
and wherever that person is, they have to light. And it seems, therefore, that if a person sets up for himself a bed in some corner of the street, and that's where he sleeps, and that's where he eats, there that person needs to light Hanukkah candles. So you're Jewish person who lives in the park bench, needs to light Hanukkah candles on the park bench, says the Tzitz Eliezer. It is totally dependent on the person, where that person eats, where that person sleeps. That's where that person lights Hanukkah candles and has nothing to do with the physicality of the place that they choose at all. It's all about the person. Um, right? Even the, even, even though you have no house to speak of, you are still obligated in the mitzvah of Hanukkah, says the Tzitz Eliezer, he just says it over and over again. The mitzvah of Hanukkah, according to the Tzitz Eliezer, has nothing to do with objects. It is always only to do with where the person is. Okay, so then he says, so based on what I just said, move on. So it seems obvious that I think you need to light Hanukkah candles even when you're sleeping outside. Everyone should light it by their own bed and in their own corner, or they can all contribute and then um and then they can all light together, but they should certainly make a bracha. And if you're if you set up a tent, how much more so? Should you light with a bracha there? So the Maharsham certainly would have said the opposite. Nears and Tzitzeliaz are saying no house needed. Um, and he brings, so we'll look at this um, in greater depth in a future session. We're going to look at what the Archa Shulchan says, but we'll just see what the Archa Shulchan, uh, he'll, he brings a quote from the Archa Shulchan's writing about Hanukkah on the train, um, which clearly like caught everyone's imagination at like this very certain point in history. Um, right, so here's what the Archa Shulchan says, Hanosea Barakavet Chayav Lahadlik Ner Hanukkah Sham, the person who's riding on the train, which is, by the way, what the same thing that the Maharsham says, has to, has to light Hanukkah candles on the train, even though, but here's what's interesting, the Maharsham says that the the train is Begeder Bayit, and the Shulchan, and the Archa Shulchan, the Archa Shulchan says the opposite. He says, Avobisha in Rakavet Begeder Bayit. How do we know? Because according to the Archa Shulchan, what makes a home? Stability makes a home. The fact that a train is it's it's wandering from place to place and lacking in um, spatial permanence, that undermines the train's possibility to be a home. Um, and he says, and, and then it says the, the um, says the Tzitzeliazer, the reason why the Aruch HaShulchan holds like this is because he agrees with us. He, he says, the Aruch HaShulchan sees it like me. He says, you have to light on a train. A train is not begadar by it. How does that make sense? That makes sense because the mitzvah of Neru is Ner Ish. It's just on you. 
it's just on you and you get to decide what your buy-it is and the getter of a buy-it doesn't play in, says the Tzitzeliezer. Um, and then he says, right, it's better that they should do the mitzvah, these people who are camping, that they should do the mitzvah in full themselves as opposed to relying on other people in their homes. Because if they do that, he, his argument, it's it's a crazy argument, right? Because in the Gemara that we saw together, Re'iya is not the Ikar mitzvah. <laughs> Re'iya is the secondary mitzvah done by an outsider looking in. And he says, what's the Ikar mitzvah? Re'iya b'po'al ne'er Hanukkah dolkim. Now, you gotta say, like, experientially, what the Tzitzel Yazar is describing is so right. Meaning to say, Oh, it would be better for you to not see Hanukkah candles at all on Hanukkah. Have someone light for you at home and keep you in mind. That's a greater kiyum of ner ishu veto than you lighting outside on your trip Hanukkah candles. I totally understand why someone would want to say that, but to read that into the Gemara is astonishing. I think, um, and and we're gonna we're gonna be coming back to that over and over again. But we're at time, and you need to still see what he does with the Maharsham. Um, so just bear with me for this next little bit, and then we'll be done. So Bechin Matzavi Beshut Maharsham, um, where he quotes the Maharsham and um, who says Sarich Liyot Miat Al Makul. Um, here. Rashi, right? Fighting words. He he proves it as if from Rashi. Here's how the Tzitzel Yezer reads Rashi. There is no proof from Rashi to say what the Maharsham says. Which and that's all, I brought you the entirety of that Maharsham. There were no ellipses. The Archishal so cut out all kinds of stuff. The the Maharsham, I brought you the whole thing. His only proof is that Rashi. And the Tzitzeliezer says, I hate his read of Rashi. Here's how you should read Rashi. Rashi, Right, it's a fire hazard to light fire on a boat, so they don't let him light on the boat, or he didn't bring candles with him. He didn't know how long a boat ride it was gonna be. Now, any number of things could be the reason why Rashi says the guy on the boat is just the roa and not the madlik, but it doesn't mean that a person can't, in theory, light on a boat. And he says, "Gam Rashi Muda." Shachayev lahadlik midina besfina. He has a whole, a whole extra thing there. He says, you know what? I think Rashi would have agreed that on from first, from basic halachic principles, you do need to light Hanukkah candles on a boat below Achmat Mashes that below Kirui, and it doesn't matter that there's no roof. Kilo ba'inan bazat by cloud because you do not need a house at all. Says the Tzitz Eliezer. Okay, so the Tzitz Eliezer. He's using really strong fighting words because it kind of seems like he's fighting against the world. Like it's a little bit like he does protest too much um, here. But I just want to give a little bit of a rundown. This was just as like an opening salvo of the types of conversations about what home has to do with Hanukkah, which is Ner Ishu Beto, these three parts. How important is the Bayi part of Ner Ishu Beto? Tzitzel Yezer says not at all. The, Mahar, the Maharsham says it's everything. That um, we saw kind of a debate between the Shulchanar, between, well, between the Rambam 
and the Tosfot carried forward as a, as a debate between the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, and then the Pnei Yoshua is clearly on the team of Biden. Um, but but strong strong fighters on both sides of this in terms of when you think of Ner Ishu Vetau is the emphasis on the Ish or the emphasis on the Bayit, and where it comes to really um like comes to the forefront is when you have an ish and no buy it, what are you supposed to do? So there's gonna be a lot more test cases um in getting at this going forward. We're gonna come back to the definitions that the Maharsham brought for a house also because those are just the beginning and very beautiful and interesting. Um okay so sorry for going a little bit over um and um and really really looking forward to the rest of this um series with all of you. Wow, thank you so much, Ravneet Sana, starting off our Hanukkah with some Torah light. Um, and thank you everyone here for being part of our learning community. Even though we're well into Falls Man here at Drisha, we still have new and exciting things coming up. Starting this week is Technologies of Transmission on Wednesday, uh, starting tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, um, at 8 p.m. with Ravanit Sarah Walkenfeld. Please join us for the Nature and Supernatural in Medieval Ashkenaz, the Rene and Alexander Baum Memorial Lecture with um, Dr. Uh, David Scheinovitz, um, meeting Sunday, the 3rd of December at 7 p.m. That's this Sunday um, on Zoom and on Facebook Live. And uh, Registration for our Winters Man classes are open now. We'll be starting with a short um, special program on organ donation on December the 25th to the 27th. And we're very excited to be continuing our Mission in Depth project with Ketubot, with our very own Ravanit Leasana. Um, so you can find out about all of those and more and sign up at 5784 drisha.org slash winter um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you all next week for the next of Hanukkah the holiday for homebodies thank you